is from chapter 30. Uh, Moses was aware of the fact that his time on the earth was coming to an end. He knew that God had told him that he would not lead the people into the promised land. And Moses also knew that with this opportunity in front of them to go into this promised land, to go into this new life, there would be a lot of choices to be made. And so Moses challenged the Israelites, and he said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, choose life so that you and your offspring might live. You see, Moses understood that the choice between good and evil is really the choice between life and death. And I want to make you aware of something this morning, Moss Brook, that's happening in our state right now, that we as a church and as a family, as a body of Christ followers, need to stand up against. There is a bill in our main state legislature right now, Bill LD 1619, it's just been named in the past week, that if passed would become one of the most devastating abortion laws in the entire country. In fact, it effectively removes all restrictions on abortion so that up until the moment of birth, a child might be killed with simply the agreement of the doctor. It also removes all of the punishments for unlicensed, if you can imagine, unlicensed individuals, non-physicians to take the life of a child. It would be devastating to our state, devastating to our future as a people and what God has given us here in this wonderful place that we live. There's a lot of things that we can do that we need to do to help. This morning on the way out of the service, uh, the greeters will have a little sheet that they're going to hand you that will give you some ideas of some things that you can do, that we can do together. First and foremost, we need to be praying that God would stop this bill in its tracks. Now, if he does that, he is going to choose to do that through us through people like us, through churches like ours, who are willing and courageous enough to stand up and say, this is wrong, this is evil, and it results in death. Uh, you can also contact your representative, your state senator, let them know how you feel about this, that you don't agree that this is what is best for Maine. And we're going to be sending out an email this week that will give you all the contact information for the representatives in the areas that you live. There's also uh, an address on there, a web address, Speak Up for Life is an organization here in Maine that is kind of coordinating some of these efforts. And you can go on their website, sign up, learn how you can volunteer. There are a lot of things that can be done, including there will be a hearing in Augusta coming up probably in the next couple of weeks where people can go to the Capitol. There will even be an opportunity to speak if you would like to do that. We would love to let our legislators know that we don't agree with this, that this is not right. We want to choose life. We want to choose what's right and what is honoring to God. Now, if you've been around Moss Brook very long, you know that we're not a political church. We don't get involved in politics. My friends, this is not politics. This is morality. 
This is honoring God with the lives that he has given us, and we want to be courageously standing against evil in our communities and in our states. We encourage you to get involved with that. Also, tonight at 6 o'clock, Sean mentioned our prayer time at the admin building. We are going to be spending some time praying about this together, that God would be at work in this. We'd love to have you join us for that. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of having life physical life that begins at the moment of conception, and spiritual life through Jesus Christ. Help us to understand this precious gift that we have, to realize that it should not be taken lightly. We thank you for the opportunity to stand for what is right, and I pray that we will do that very courageously over the coming days here in our state. We thank you for the legislators who are standing against this already, and I pray that as we lend our support that you will be at work in ways that only you can in the hearts and minds of the individuals involved, of our leaders and our representatives. And Father, this morning as we pause here together as a family and open your word, I pray that we would hear your voice as Tim reads the scripture for us, as he teaches it to us, as he warns us, I pray that we will hear what you are saying and that we will not take it lightly, but that we will absorb it and allow your Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts and lives. Father, teach us what you would have us to know here today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're glad that you've chosen to come and worship with us this morning, and as we spend the next few moments uh, opening the Word of God and uh, asking God to speak to our hearts, that's been my prayer for each one of us and all of the theaters and the folks that are watching online, is that, I don't know about you, but my week was pretty busy. Uh, there was a lot that went on this week, and it's very easy to get distracted and it's very easy to start thinking about my stuff and how it affects my life and my family. And, uh, and, and often we get so distracted that the Spirit of God has a hard time to get a hold of us and kind of point us in the direction that He wants. And so this morning, that's my prayer for us, is that we would just allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts and kind of direct us. Maybe it's a little bit of correction that He wants this morning, uh, maybe it's a little bit of encouragement, but it's our prayer that the Spirit of God would be able to get a hold of us and, and, and kind of mold our hearts a little more into the shape that He has for us. So if you've been with us, you know that we're in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. Last week, we were started Hebrews chapter 3, and I looked at verse 1 with you. I was supposed to look at verses 1 through 6, and we only got to verse 1 which means now I have to do verses 2 through 19 because that's what I was supposed to. I was supposed to have all that for this week. And so we're going to do a on the run, okay, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Actually, there's a couple things we need to draw our attention to in order to have verses 7 through 19 make sense for us. So you need to be with me, got your running shoes, tighten them up. Uh, and, and stay with me this morning, okay, because we're going to make it all the way through this. I don't know about you, but as folks grow older, and, and I, I don't know that I'm there yet, but as people grow older, there's, there's this thing that happens to them where they begin to get a little bit set in their ways. Am I, you know, I, I don't know if that affects, I mean, this is Mossbrook Church, 
and we're a different group of people. We're a little strange in some ways, and so maybe this doesn't affect any of you folks at all. I see people already nodding and poking each other. So yes, it does affect you where you begin to get set in your ways, and, and it can happen really at any age where, where you like things a certain way and you don't function well if those things kind of get out of the way that you like them. Anybody know what I'm talking about at all? Yes. Okay. All right. And sometimes as that happens in our lives, we can get a little hardened in that, if you will. And then if we let that keep going, we can get a little cranky in that and maybe a little bitter in that. And then the family members that we have who live with us may not really appreciate some of our oddities that now drive the way we live life and how we affect the way they live life. And it's a whole thing. And you can come to a point in your life where you're just a crotchety old man. And you don't like anybody and you don't like anything because you like everything to be the way you want it to be. And maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you are that. I don't know. And not all things having them the way we like them or figuring out a system that we like. Systems aren't bad. Schedules aren't bad. Figuring out the way we like to live life and the, the way it affects us, that's not all bad. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that we get to a point in our life where we harden our heart to accepting what anybody else is doing and the way anybody else is living life and only the way I want it and the way I like to live it, that's the only way that's right. And I want to stop you for a minute. No, it's just your way. <laughs> it's not necessarily the right way. It's just the way you like it. And what happens as Christ followers, remember the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers who have come to a place where they've understood their need of Jesus Christ. They've considered, if you remember from last week, they've considered Jesus and they've accepted his payment for sin and they're living for Jesus Christ. But sometimes our hardness of heart, our liking things our way can creep into even the way we live out our Christian faith. Even the way we live out our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And if we're not careful as adults, and even it can happen as young people, this creep happens in our heart where we go, I don't like what's happened, or I don't like church this way, or I don't like it when they sing this. I don't, and we have all this list of things that have nothing to do with the gospel, and they have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but we harden our heart to the Spirit of God working in us because we have ways that we like things and ways that we don't. And I want to tell you something this morning. That's not good. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to warn us this morning. He's going to warn us what happens to us when we have a hardened heart. And it's no longer pliable to the word of God and to the spirit of God. And it's a very serious warning. Because often we cloak that in spirituality and we say, I'm so spiritual that this is the way it has to be. When in reality, my heart has simply become hard to the person of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. And I tell them I know better. 
And so the author this morning is going to warn us about that. we got to start back at verse 1, though. If you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 3, going to start reading at verses 1 through 5. The verses will be on the screen. You can follow along with me. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. This was last week. The apostle and high priest of our confession. Remember that we talked about this last week, that Jesus came as a message or the message from God in the form of a man, so that we could understand. And he was a priest in the fact that he was the way for us to get back to God. Remember, a priest was the one who goes before God to present the sacrifice for the sin. And so Jesus came as the message from God, but also as the high priest to bring us back to God. So this was who Jesus was, the high priest of our confession. Confession. He was faithful to the one who, who appointed him, just as Moses was in all of God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as a builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built it, who built everything as God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. So these verses, verses two through five, show us the difference. And remember, in, in chapters one through two, we talked about this, that, that God, that Jesus Christ was greater. He was supreme. He was number one. He was way ahead of the prophets. And the Old Testament Jews would have struggled with that because it was the prophets who gave them the message of God. And chapter 1 tells us, no, Jesus Christ is better than. He's supreme over the prophets. And then it went on to say he's supreme over the angels. He's number one. Well, the author keeps going with that. And he says, you remember Moses? You remember how great Moses was and all that Moses did? Well, Jesus is better than Moses. And he gives them this, this picture, this word picture, which they would have jumped on immediately. He says, look, let me show you how it is that Jesus is better than Moses. If somebody builds a house and the house is beautiful, the, the carpenters did a wonderful job. And you look at the house and you go, that is a beautiful house. The glory is real really not in the house. It's in the one who had the skill to build the house. Because that house, right, it's an inanimate object. It can't build itself. It can't put itself together. There has to be a mind with skill and with ability who places all those pieces together and builds that house in such a way that everybody stops and goes, wow, that's a beautiful house. And so he paints this picture and he says, look, think of Moses. Moses serves in God's house. And the builder of God's house is Jesus Christ himself. So God in Jesus Christ is greater, is supreme, is first. And Moses is under. He just served in the house. That's who he was. And he paints this picture for us once again. And for these Jewish believers saying, let me remind you once again, consider Jesus. Think of Jesus. And don't just think of Jesus. Remember, he's the builder Everything that we know and everything in every way that we worship God, it was all put together by the person of Jesus Christ for us. He is first. He is supreme. He's number one. Now, I need you to grab verse six with me. And we're going to put verse six. We're going to do something out of order. Okay? I know for some of you, remember I talked about you. You like things in a certain way. I'm breaking order. Okay? Here we go. We're going to do verse six. And verse 14, because these two verses go together. 
And what he says in these two verses matter, and we want to pull them together so you get the idea. Here it is, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. He did what he was sent to do, okay? And as, as God, he performed all that he needed to perform the way he needed to do it. So he was faithful. And we are that household, catch this word, if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Now jump down to verse 14. For we have become participants in Christ, and here it is again, if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Now, when you read those two verses, it sounds like, and you look at the word if that's found in those two verses, it sounds like the author is saying this, that the author is saying, look, if you accept Jesus Christ and you hold tightly enough to Jesus Christ and you do enough good stuff and you work hard enough and you stay in the household of God and you stay in the family of God, if you do that, then you have confidence that you will be kept. That's not what he's saying, just so you know. That is not what he's saying. Because if he were saying that, then the rest of Scripture, remember, we read Scripture in the context of all of Scripture. We don't read one verse out of context. We read Scripture in all of context of Scripture. And Scripture says this, that it's not by works of righteousness which I have done, but according to his mercy, his grace, his ability that I'm saved. I am not kept by what I do. I am kept by what Christ has already done. And so he's not saying here that if you work hard enough and you do good enough, then you'll keep your salvation. That's not, that's not for me. That's wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did. His work was finished. His payment for my sin was finished on the cross. And when I accept his payment for my sin, when I repent, remember repentance is part of acceptance. It's admitting that I'm going in the wrong direction, that I am a sinner, and I am unable to reach a holy God in and of myself. And so I need a savior and I accept his payment for my sin. And I yield and I repent and I turn the opposite direction. Then Christ says the work is finished. It was done. And you are saved. You are now my child. So that if there means this. This is the way he's saying it. The if then is not about what I do. It's not dependent on me. He's saying, look, if you hold on, if you stay true, if you stay faithful, if you are, then you are showing the evidence of your salvation. You're not creating your salvation. You're proving. Now, this is a scary word for us. You are proving the fact that you are saved. Now, we don't like that. We don't like to say, I have to prove the fact that I'm saved. But we need to prove the fact that we're saved. I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about the reality of Christ in us. See, Christ, the Bible tells us this, that if Christ is in me, I am a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. If I am in Christ, if Christ lives in me, if the Holy Spirit indwells me, I'm a different person. I see life differently. And what the Bible tells us in the New Testament is that if Christ indwells me, if he lives in me, then when I get bumped by my family, 
They get spilled with the Holy Spirit. That happened to you this week? When you got bumped at work this week, you know what I mean? When somebody rubbed you the wrong way, somebody broke your concentration, (laughs) somebody cut you off on the road, when your kids didn't act the way they were supposed to act this week, when you, when you, when you got a bill that you didn't plan on getting, whatever that happened to you this week, and you got bumped, was it you that spilled out or God? See, that's what this is saying. The if here is saying this. Look, if God lives in you, then the proof that God is living in you is that's who's going to be seen. So he's not talking about keeping your salvation or you, you hanging on tight enough that, that you don't let go and, and, and you don't lose it all. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the reality of Christ living in you. And see, here's the problem that we have in North America. We love our worship and we love our Christianity to be something that I go do. And that's not what he's talking about. It's, it's, it's how I live. It's who I am. It's the character of God through Jesus Christ being revealed in my very person. When you got bumped this week, did you, did you prove by your reaction that you're a follower of Jesus? That's what he's talking about. That's what those two verses mean. The word if. He's saying that the, that the Spirit of God will prove that you are a child of God. Now, let's jump into verses 7 to 11. I'm down to 11 minutes, so we're going to make it. I'm, I'm going to do this, Mike. He always gives me that long passages. I'm going to have to start working on, I'm going to work with you when you break this out, is what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm losing time. All right. Verse, chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. Now, I need you to know something about this. Remember when we started the book of Hebrews, I told you this, that Hebrews has a, a lot of quotes from the Old Testament. Actually, Hebrews as a New Testament book has the most quotes from the Old, from the New, from the Old Testament in it. And this is one of those. Verses 7 to 11 are a quote from Psalm 95. Very interesting this morning. This is a side note. I was doing my my Bible reading this morning. having my devotions. Our our small group is working through um, a bunch of different readings. And I was reading this morning, and guess what the first Psalm was? Psalm 95. And I'm like, wow, God, you just, it's a little thing. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways, so I swore in my anger, this is God talking, they will not enter my rest. These few verses, verses 7 to 11, are a reference way back to the nation of Israel, the book of Exodus. Now, if you remember the story, if not, let me remind you of the story. The people of Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, were in the land of Egypt. Remember why? Remember there was a great famine in the land. 
Joseph had been sold into slavery and became the second in command in all of the land of Egypt. And God used Joseph in an amazing way to prepare the nation of Israel to be saved, the, nation, the, the, the Jewish nation to be saved. And he had food put aside and, 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 and his dad and all of his brothers were, were starving and they, the famine had become great and they moved up to Egypt to get food. And while they were there, they grew. And Pharaoh remembered them because of Joseph and gave them the best of the land. And they grew in number and they grew in number. And finally, Joseph died and his brothers died and Pharaoh died and a new ruler came and he died and a new ruler came. And the Pharaoh that was there at that point in Exodus did not remember the greatness of Joseph or what God did. Instead, he was fearful of the Jewish people because they came, became so great in number. And he was fearful of them, and he said this. He said, these people, if they continue to grow in number, will take us over. Let's make them our slaves, and we'll build great things, and we'll use them to be the people who, who build all the great things for us. And so that's what he did. And the longer they were slaves, the worse they got treated. And the worse they got treated, their eyes went back to God, and they began to cry out to God and say, we need help, we need help. And if you go to Exodus chapter 4, Moses, because of some events in his life, ended up in the desert, and, and, and it says this, that God came to Moses, and he said to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. They're in distress, and I want to save my people, and I want you to do it, and, and long story short, he uses Moses and Aaron to save his people, and they get out of Egypt, and it's a promise that was made in Genesis chapter 15. If you go back there and you realize that God had told Abram that his people would be slaves in another land and another nation for 400 years. And when they left slavery, he would bless them incredibly with great possessions from the land and they would become a great people. Look at it sometime in Genesis chapter 15. And that's what happened. God moved mightily and they left Egypt and they took great possessions when they left Egypt. But here was the problem. They left Egypt and they blessed God and they gave God thanks, but they, they thought God was a little slow in working out the plan. You ever been there? I have. You know this building we're trying to build right now? Does it seem like God's a little slow? Remember, his timing is perfect, okay? Just, that's a side note. Okay, they thought God was a little slow, and so they got mad at God, and they didn't trust God. And the Bible tells us this, they hardened their hearts. God did amazing things for them, by the way. He gave them food in the desert. He gave them water in the desert. He gave them clothing that did not wear. Can you imagine not having a clothes bill? Not having to buy clothes? Their shoes didn't wear out. They had food. They had all that they wanted. And they looked at God and said, God, you're not doing it our way. We're not happy with you. And they hardened their heart against God. And God said, look, because you won't trust me, because you won't believe me, there's judgment. And they kept doing it. And finally, he takes them to the promised land. And so they send in spies to the promised land. And only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back and say, we can take this land with God for us. Who could be against us? We can do this. And the rest said, no, we can't. We're going to die. We're all going to die. And they didn't trust God. And God looked at them and he said, because of your unbelief in the next 40 years, all of this generation will die. None of you will go in. And I will judge you. Because you don't believe me. 
That's what those verses we just read, 7 11, that's what they're all about. They're all about. And the author is reminding this group of Hebrew believers, this group of Jews, he's saying, remember what happened to your ancestors. And immediately this group of people who who this letter is being written to would go, yes, I remember. Because the story had been told over and over and over. Trust God. Trust God. God's got, he has your best. He knows what's best. Trust God. But they didn't. So then we get to verse 12, and this is the verse I want you to don't pay attention. Don't miss this. If you fell asleep, wake up, because this matters right now. Here it is. Ready? Verse 12. Watch out. Warning! Red flag! Watch out, brothers and sisters. Remember, he's talking to these folks. He's talking to us. Watch out! Warning! Believers in Jesus Christ. So that there won't be in any of you. Stop. Mossbrook. So that there won't be in any of us who are listening this morning an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's a heart issue. The warning here isn't external. Yes, there are external influences. There are things that can grab my attention that are external. There are things that can put pressure on my life that are external. But the warning here is a heart issue. It's a problem that starts and lives inside of me and you and all of us. And the hard issue is when I take my eyes off the one who has done so much for me. The one being Jesus Christ. Who's provided everything that I need. That's what scripture tells me, 1 Peter. He says, look, everything that you need to live out your life, I've given to you. It's yours. It's all yours. And when I take my eyes off Christ and I stop saying yes to the Holy Spirit, then my heart begins to get hard. It's a warning. It's a warning about a heart issue. It's not something that happens immediately, folks. It's a slow creep. It's God encourage me encouraging me to do something in my life or encouraging me to stop doing something in my life or to apologize to someone or to forgive someone or to look at someone and honor them because of who God has made them to be or to speak to someone about my faith that I, I may be scared to or to care for my family in a way that I really don't want to. It's when the Spirit of God prompts me and I look at the Spirit of God and I say, not this time. And a little part of my heart starts to get hard. And then the next time the Spirit of God prompts me, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm pretty busy. Not this time. A little more gets hard. It's a slow creep. I always think of these verses in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where it says this, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away, pulled away, and enticed by his own evil desire. Those little things inside of me. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. When I'm slowly pulled away, when I just say no a couple of times to the Spirit of God, when I just put my Bible up on the shelf and I say, God, I really don't want to hear from you today or this week. It hardens. It hardens. It's an internal issue. Warning, don't give place for those little seeds of doubt and bitterness and anger and envy to get a hold of me and to take root. They're there all the time. They're always trying to get in, but don't give them a place. This verse, verse 12 is a warning against disbelieving what God can do, refusing to acknowledge what he has already done in me. Look, if you're a believer here this morning, God has done an incredible work in your heart. You can look back to the changes that he has made in you over your lifetime, and it's amazing what he's done. Don't forget. Don't forget he's changed you. So how do I stop? How do I fight this hardened heart? What do I do? Well, the answer is given to us in this, in this passage. Look at, look at verse 13. But encourage each other daily. Well, it is still called today. So that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. How do we fight a hardened heart? What do we do? We stick together, first of all. That's what it says. It says that we encourage one another. Our worship together is so important. It matters so much that we come together and we encourage one another in our faith. Don't take your eyes off Christ and stay in community, in communion with other believers. Allow other believers the privilege of speaking into your life. Speak you, speak into other believers' life on a regular basis. Encourage them, pray for them, help them, lift them up. Come alongside them, be their friend. Why? Because we all are at the same point, we all can struggle with a hardened heart and we need each other. And the author here looks at this and he says, look, you want to fight? You want to you put a wall up against a hardened heart? Then you make sure that you have other believers who are pointing you back to Christ all the time. That's why here at Mossbrook, we do events together. That's why we encourage you to be part of a small group. That's why we, Mike and I, are constantly saying, be in the word of God for yourself. Ask people to pray for you. Come alongside others. Be there for one another. Because we all have the ability to have our hearts become hard. Say, Pastor Tim, what do you mean? You can do, yes, I can do that. I can get at a place where, as a pastor, where I look at what I do as simply as a job. And I can look at my Christian life simply as I get up and I teach. And my heart also can become hard. I need other believers speaking into my life and reminding me to stay true to the person of Jesus Christ. And you need it as well. 
So this morning, let me exhort you. Engage with one another. Probe each other. Keep short accounts with one another. Help each other. Keep on. Keep yielding yourselves and your spirit to the will of Jesus Christ. Do not allow your heart to become hard. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. And afterward, the band's going to do a special for us that talks about our rebel hearts, our nature to fight against the spirit. It's in us. Admit it. Be aware of it. Put up a guard against it. Warning! Don't let your heart get hard. Father, would you grant us the courage, the courage to admit that internally we struggle. We don't have it all together. And often when we look like we do, we're the farthest away. It's hard to yield our spirits to yours. It's hard to admit our need. It's hard to admit that we sin and we need forgiveness, but we do. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit. Thank you for the fact that you keep prodding and pushing at our hearts. You keep molding us. You want us to be like Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. God, would you help us to live out our faith with one another, to encourage one another in our walk with you? And God, if there's some here this morning whose heart have become hard, God, would you soften that? Would you help them to bend their knee and to yield themselves to your spirit? Oh God, by your spirit, continue to work in us. In your name we pray. Amen.